Okay, you ready? You can hear me okay? Great, we're on? Perfect. Awesome. Let's go. I'm Peter Little, lead pastor at Christ Pacific Church in Huntington Beach, California. We're cultivating a community of faith, hope, and love that follows Jesus into the world. And you're listening to our Sunday Sermons podcast. To learn more about us or to subscribe to this podcast, visit us at cpchb.org. Thanks for listening. Good morning, Christ Pacific Church. How are you this morning? Good? Awesome. Me too. Welcome to church. Welcome to worship. Welcome to Christ Pacific. Uh, My name is Peter, and uh, I'm the lead pastor here at Christ Pacific Church. And uh, I have the privilege of worshiping with you and working with a great staff and elders uh, to guide the direction of uh, how we express God's mission here at Christ Pacific. So welcome. If I haven't met you yet, I hope I can meet you after the service. So please come introduce yourself to me. I'd love to talk with you. Hey, listen, uh, this fall we've been walking through the letter in the New Testament called 1 Peter. That's the first of two letters that the Apostle Peter wrote to the early church in present-day Turkey, first century. Uh, And the Apostle Peter, he was an eyewitness uh, of the life, ministry, and teachings of Jesus of Nazareth. And uh, Peter writes these letters, one of which we're going through this fall, in order to help those early Christians, in order to help those early Christians live faithfully to Jesus, whom they believed to be the Lord. And my hope by walking through this New Testament letter of 1 Peter is that you and I would also learn from Peter, learn from the Spirit of God, to walk faithfully as we attempt to follow Jesus into the world so that our neighbors can also discover and experience the goodness and mercy and kindness of God, especially through Jesus Christ. So this is what we, uh, this is what I hope we will learn and how I hope that we will grow this fall. Peter talks a lot about uh, the people he's writing to as uh, being aliens and exiles. And the reason he says that is because the people he was writing to, uh, their worldview had been radically changed. Their values had been radically changed as they entered into a relationship with Jesus. And it turns out that their values, their worldview, no longer really aligned so well with most of their neighbors. They saw the world now with a gospel set of glasses and they were finding that not many other people saw the world that way. And so they were experiencing life a little bit as a foreigner, as an exile, as as an alien. I wonder if any of you have ever felt that way. That because of your faith in Jesus that you felt a little bit on the outside. Or a little bit like you didn't fit in with some of the people you work with or go to school with or some of your neighbors. Today we are actually going to look into the Old Testament book of Daniel. And we're going to be exploring Daniel chapter 3. I'll read bits and pieces of it as I tell the story. But the reason we are not reading from 1 Peter today and instead reading from the book of Daniel, this Old Testament prophet, is because Daniel and his three buddies, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these guys, I say it ten times fast, I dare you, these guys are living examples, well they're dead now, but you know what I mean, they're living examples of what Peter's talking about in his letter. These are guys who are, by God's grace, 
living out their faith in a context, in an environment that is a little bit hostile. And they, are, they feel very much like exiles and aliens because, in fact, they were in exile and they were foreigners. And so we're going to look into Daniel chapter 3 and consider his three buddies, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. And I hope that we will learn from them. How did they do it? How was it that they were able to maintain faithfulness to the living God? There's a train coming through here right now. That's amazing. I've never heard a train in the worship hall. Um, there's a scripture about that. It's in uh, Ephesians, how Jesus leads uh, a great multitude in his train. Right, Dean, help me out. Where is it? <laughs> Ephesians 4.11. Uh, where were we? Daniel chapter 3. Hey, let me uh, give you some context and tell you a bit of the story of Daniel uh, chapter 3. So Daniel is one of the Old Testament prophets and the Hebrew scriptures. And um, we meet Daniel and his three buddies, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, because these four guys have been deported from, Babel, or deported from Jerusalem, where they once lived, to Babylon. And this was super typical in the ancient world when one nation would be defeated by another nation. They would take all the leading citizens, or many of the leading citizens, they would deport them out of their city and into the capital city or a primary city of the nation that has won the victory. And the reason that this took place in the ancient world is because this was an attempt to eliminate or erase the culture and identity of the defeated peoples. Right? So they're like, hey, let's take all the leaders, let's take all the influential people, let's deport them, let's bring them to our capital city, and let's teach them all of our ways, and in the midst of them assimilating into our culture, we'll erase their identity. We'll erase who they used to be. And so Daniel and his three buddies found themselves as literal exiles in the city of Babylon. And during the assimilation process, when these four guys were being enculturated into Babylon culture, it turns out that Daniel and his three buddies were actually, uh, actually excelled in their workplaces. These guys, turned out, were really good at their jobs. They were really respected in the marketplace. In fact, they were so respected in their workplace, which happened to be the palace of King Nebuchadnezzar, they were so respected that they ended up getting uh, promoted higher levels of management with more influence and more decision-making responsibilities. And you know what? They were able to do this. They were able to excel in their work all without compromising their faithfulness to the living God. Well, King Nebuchadnezzar, he's sort of like your quintessential narcissist. Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, also a fun name to say, say that ten times fast, Nebuchadnezzar. He, um, he was the king of Babylon, and as the most powerful man in the most powerful nation in the world at that time, he, like many people in that position, turned out to be a narcissist. And so what he did is he set up a golden statue, and he ordered everyone in the kingdom... To bow down and worship this golden statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And you know what? When the most powerful man in the world says, do it, everybody did it. Everybody bowed down and worshipped 
that golden statue. Everybody except for a whole bunch of Jewish people. A whole bunch of people who had been deported from Jerusalem to Babylon. And specifically, Daniel and his three buddies, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they did not bow down and worship this golden statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And so we're going to pick up the story in Daniel chapter 3. I'm going to read a portion of it here. Accordingly, at this time, certain Chaldeans, that is Babylonians, came forward and they denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. See, they knew, knew how to talk to a king. O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, drum, an entire musical ensemble, they shall fall down and worship the golden statue. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These pay no heed to you, O king. They do not serve your gods and they do not worship the golden statue that you have set up. And so Nebuchadnezzar, in his fury, he orders that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego get tossed into a furnace of blazing fire. Well, actually, he orders them to bow down and worship. Bow down and worship. And if you don't, I'm going to have you tossed into this furnace of blazing fire. And so we pick up the story in verse 16 of Daniel 3. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to present a defense to you in this matter. Uh-oh. If our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire and out of your hand, O king, then let him deliver us. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods and we will not worship the golden statue that you have set up. Now, how do you think King Nebuchadnezzar responded? He was furious and he was thrown into a fit of rage and he had the furnace heated up hotter than it had ever been before. And then verse 21, so the men, the three men, were bound, still wearing their tunics, their trousers, their hats, and their other garments. They were thrown into the furnace of blazing fire. And because the king's command was urgent and the furnace was so overheated, the raging flames killed the men who lifted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But the three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound into the furnace of blazing fire. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and he rose up quickly. He said to his counselor, was it not three men that we threw bound into the fire? They answered the king, true, O king. He replied, but I see four men unbound walking in the middle of the fire and they are not hurt and the fourth has the appearance of a god. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the door of the furnace of blazing fire and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out. Come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. The satraps, the prefects, the governors, the king's counselors gathered together and they saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of these men. The hair of their heads was not singed. Their tunics were not harmed. And not even the smell of fire came from them. Nebuchadnezzar said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, 
who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted him. They disobeyed the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own. Let's pray as we dive into that amazing story. Gracious and God, God, we believe uh, and we're grateful for the reality that you enabled Daniel to remember these things and to write them down faithfully. And that we have this beautiful story, one among many beautiful stories in the Hebrew scriptures that tell us about your faithfulness, your goodness, and what it looks like for us as your people to follow you and trust you. And I pray that now this morning that you would help us to follow you and trust you. May we learn from these three ancient gentlemen. Most of all, may we learn from and be shaped by you, the Lord God who is faithful. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If we would have read the whole of chapter 3 of Daniel, then you would have heard this phrase over and over again. The golden statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. The golden statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. The golden statue that King Nebuchadnezzar... Yeah, it's super awkward. It's repeated eight times. It's repeated so much that it just feels awkward if you read the text. And this is pretty common in Hebrew literature for there to be repetition. And the reason that there's repetition is because that's how we learn. And this is part of what Daniel wants us to learn here. That the golden statue is the statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And any statue or anything that anybody sets up is not worthy of our worship. Anything that anybody else sets up is not worthy of our worship. Now, there aren't really golden statues in our lives, right? We don't really talk about that. We don't deal with golden statues that have been erected in our neighborhood. So obviously for us now, this has become a metaphor. What are the golden statues that have been set up in our world? What are those things that we have been urged to bow down before and worship? Or maybe we haven't been urged like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were, but maybe we have felt a sense of peer pressure to bow down before these idols, these golden statues, and worship them. Maybe it's because it feels like everybody's doing it. I have two older sisters. If you are an older sister, be nice to your little brothers. I have two older sisters. One of them, her name is Bobby. She's five years older than me, and she's always been about that much wiser than I am. And she used to joke around with me when we were doing chores, and, you know, our chores were divided up. And when it came time for her chores, the things that she had to do, she would say this to me. It's a brilliant tactic to say to your little brother. She would say, hey, I'll give you a dollar if you load the wood box tonight. And I did believe her for a while. What little boy doesn't want a dollar? It's a lot of money back then. Well, that tactic didn't work very long because you wouldn't believe it, but those dollars never showed up. I never saw a dollar out of the times that I loaded the wood box for my sister. So then she changed her tactic and, you know, we joke around about this uh, now. And she was kind of joking around then, but she would say to me, her little brother, come on, everybody's doing it. Come on, everybody's doing it. Have you ever felt a little pressured 
because it kind of seems like everybody's doing it. Everybody's bowing down before these golden statues and worshiping them. What are those metaphorical golden statues before which seems like everybody is bowing down and and worshiping? And the reality is that anything can become one of these golden statues. And that, in fact, oftentimes these golden statues in our lives are actually good things. They're not bad things in and of themselves, which is part of what makes it a little bit confusing. It's part of what gets us sucked in because these things are quite often good things. But the problem is we have made them into absolute things. And when you take a good thing and make it into an absolute thing, that absolute thing overrides and overturns every other allegiance in your life. If you have read J.R.R. Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings or seen his movies, uh, good for you. If you haven't, you should. They're really good. In the Lord of the Rings trilogy, the whole storyline follows the the dark Lord Sauron's ring of power. And this ring of power, what it does to the one who wears it or the one who possesses it, this ring of power distorts the desires that good people have. Really good people, even good hobbits. Hobbits like Bilbo Baggins or people like Boromir. They're good desires. When they possess this ring, become amplified. And those good desires get amplified so much that they would do anything, anything at all, to achieve their goals, to have their desires met. The one who wears the ring of power becomes increasingly addicted to it and begins to think that he or she cannot live without it. I must have the ring. This is what happened to Gollum. I sound like Gollum this morning. Gollum. (laughs) The ring destroyed his life. But it was so powerful. It had so much influence over him. He was so enamored with it because it took on a place, an absolute place in his life. So much so that he began to refer to it as my precious. My precious, the ring of power. He wanted it more than anything else. What are the rings of power in your life? What are the things in our lives that we, uh, that magnify our good desires so much that they take on destructive proportions? Dr. Tim Keller founded Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City. And I had the privilege of being a part of Redeemer Presbyterian Church when I first became a follower of Jesus, living in New York City. It was a wonderful place to be. And Dr. Keller wrote this really helpful book entitled Counterfeit Gods, The Empty Promises of Money, Sex, and Power, and the Only Hope That Matters. Now, what do you suppose that Tim Keller proposes are the significant golden statues in our Western culture? Any guesses? Money, sex, and power. You know, I might add comfort to that. Dr. Keller points out that counterfeit gods take the place that only the living God is worthy of having. These counterfeit gods... 
these idols, it turns out that we end up loving them and trusting them and obeying them in a way that only Jesus is meant to be loved and trusted and obeyed. So first, let's consider the idols that we love. The idols that we love. The Bible sometimes talks about idols or golden statues um, using a marriage metaphor. The living Lord Jesus is called our true bridegroom. But we often desire and delight in other loves more than our bridegroom, who is Jesus. And Keller suggests that we can locate these idols in our daydreams. What do you daydream about? Where does your imagination go? What captures your imagination? Romance or success, these can become counterfeit lovers that promise to deliver things and experiences and feelings that they are not meant to deliver and in fact cannot deliver. That's the thing with idols is they overpromise and underdeliver. What do you daydream about? Maybe these are some of the things that you love in a way that only Jesus is to be loved. Or consider the idols that you trust. The Bible sometimes talks about idolatry or idols we trust using a religious metaphor. Surprise, surprise. The living Lord Jesus is our true savior, our rescuer. But sometimes we look to financial prosperity or a physical image to provide the kind of security that we desire. Tim Keller suggests that we locate, we can locate these idols, these idols that we trust in our nightmares. In other words, what do you fear the most? What, if you lost it, would lead to a kind of despondency or despair? What if you lost the financial success that you're experiencing right now? What if you lost the body that you've worked so hard to sculpt? We can identify these idols in our worst fears. Thirdly, consider the idols that we obey. So the Bible sometimes talks about idols uh, using a kind of political metaphor. And the living Lord Jesus is our true Lord and our true master. But it turns out when we love and trust something more than we love and trust Jesus, we end up also obeying that thing. We obey that thing or that person rather than Jesus, who is the one worthy of our obedience. And when we obey something, when we obey an idol, it becomes an enslaving idol. We become slaves to it when, in fact, Jesus, our true Lord, doesn't want to enslave us, but wants to set us free. Dr. Keller suggests that we can locate these idols that we sometimes obey by considering our most unyielding emotions. What makes you uncontrollably angry or anxious or despondent? Think about those things in your life that maybe are triggers and you respond vastly out of proportion to the thing itself. Maybe hiding in those unyielding emotions is an idol that you are actually obeying. 
Rebecca Pippert wrote this wonderful book called Out of the Salt Shaker. That's about us and about how we as the salt and the light of the salt of the earth and the light of the world are called to be shaken out of the salt shaker. To come out of the salt shaker and go into the world to flavor the world in the way that salt uh, draws out the flavor of food. And in this wonderful book she writes this. She says, whatever controls us is our Lord. The person who seeks power is controlled by power. The person who seeks acceptance is controlled by the person he or she wants to please. We do not control ourselves. We're controlled by the Lord of our lives. So the question for us is, what are the golden statues in our lives that we love, trust, and obey more than we love, trust, and obey the living Lord himself? And for Daniel and his three buddies, they loved and trusted and obeyed the living Lord more than anything else. Consider verses 16, 17, and 18 again. I'm going to read them again. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to present a defense to you in this matter. If our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire and out of your hand, O king, let him deliver us. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods and we will not worship the golden statue that you have set up. But if not, did you catch those three words? Three little words that have massive implications. But if not, they say. And don't you expect Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to say something different? I mean, come on, let's be honest here. Don't you expect them to say something like, let it be known to you, O King Nebuchadnezzar, you narcissistic little fool. Sorry, did that come out? Let it be known to you, King Nebuchadnezzar, that the God whom we serve will protect us and will not allow the flames to harm us. We know that. We trust our God. He will rescue us. Watch this. Don't you expect them to say that? Don't you want them to say that? But that's not what they say. They do believe and they do say that, oh God, you can rescue us. We know that you can deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire. But even if you don't, we are not going to bow down and worship these worthless counterfeit gods. Because we know they're counterfeit. They're not real. They're not actually gods. And we are not going to give our lives over to that which does not deserve to receive our lives. That which does not deserve to be worshipped by us. So even, oh God, if you do not rescue us today... We're still going to worship you because you're the only one worthy of our worship. And they do this because they are less interested in the question, what is advantageous to me? And they're more interested in the question, who is worthy of my adoration? I'm going to repeat that because it's the thesis of the morning. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are able to make the decisions they make because they are less interested in the question, what's advantageous to me? And they're more interested in the question, who is worthy of our adoration? And so the question for us is, are you seeking more your advantage or are you seeking more that, to adore the one who is worthy of our adoration? Will you be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Who through this particular choice that they made in this story that we read about in Daniel chapter 3. They make a choice that is not advantageous 
to them, at least in the short term. They were going to die. They were going to be burned at the stake. Will you and I be like these three gentlemen who choose adoration over and above their own advantage, whether we burn or not? It's like Daniel's three buddies had been reading the prophet Isaiah. And it's like they had just come across Isaiah chapter 43, which says this, Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When the waters... When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. And when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flames shall not consume you. Why? For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Did you notice that it says when, not if? Not if. The prophet Isaiah says when you go through the fires, not if. Because it is when and not if. As followers of Jesus, we are aliens and exiles in what is a very turbulent environment and what can be to our disadvantage, at least in the short term. And that means that it's going to be when, not if, we face these kinds of fires. These guys were peculiar. They were peculiar gentlemen. Their lives and their priorities meant that everybody else worshipped the counterfeit gods of the day, but these guys did not. And that made them peculiar. It didn't make them weirdos. Remember, these guys actually uh, climbed the corporate ladder, if you will, in the royal palace. These guys were well respected by others. They were not weirdos. They were a peculiar people. Because they didn't worship the counterfeit gods that everyone else was worshiping. The question is when, not if, you and I will be faced with a blazing furnace of fire. The text doesn't really support specifically this next point I want to make, but I think it's fair from the context, and I hope you'll agree. Daniel's three buddies didn't just choose adoration instead of their own personal advantage in that stressful moment. These three men did not make that choice for the first time right there as King Nebuchadnezzar was threatening them with the fire. This is a decision that these three buddies of Daniel had made long ago and had been making day by day by day. That they were going to be a people. They were going to be men who worshipped and obeyed and loved the living God. And who would not bow down and worship the golden statues of the day. Think about what, it ha- what would have happened potentially if they had not made that choice earlier. In the heat of the moment. Did <laughs> you see that? That just came out. I didn't even plan that. <clears throat> In the heat of that particular moment, these guys in that stressful situation may have made a different choice. But they decided before that they were going to be guys who worshipped the one who was worthy of their worship. And so the question for us is, have we decided, have you decided, have you decided already to be God-adoring people first and foremost, even when it is not particularly advantageous 
to you. Even in the midst of these difficult circumstances, have you decided already to seek God's advantage and not your own? Have you decided already to take on the mind of Christ Jesus? Who even though he was in the form of God, in other words, he had all of the attributes of God, he had all the power of the universe at his fingertips, even though he had all of that, he did not grasp onto it for his own advantage. Jesus didn't seek his own advantage, but rather he emptied himself. He took on the form of a servant. He took on the form of a human, and he emptied himself. He became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Will you decide today to have the mind of Christ Jesus, to be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and decide today to be people who adore the living God first and foremost, even if it is not advantageous to your personal goals? That Isaiah 43 text I just read also says this. When you pass through the waters, there it is again. When, not if. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. For I'm the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. When you seek to adore the Lord above and beyond everyone else, when you seek that above your own advantage, I will be with you, says the living God. I will be with you. I think the psalmist says it best. You might agree. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you, O oh God, are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You are with me. When a humble carpenter named Joseph, who was the descendant of King David, when he was betrothed to a young woman named Mary, who had become pregnant without his participation, that was awkward, he had a dream. He had a dream in which an angel of the Lord spoke to him and said, I'm paraphrasing here, Joseph, I know this seems strange, but all of this is taking place just as the prophet Isaiah said it would. Don't you remember, Joseph, in Isaiah chapter 7? The prophet says, look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name will mean God is with you. So you don't have to fear anything, not even the fires of a blazing furnace. Emmanuel God is with us because he himself did not seek his own advantage, but rather emptied himself and became obedient even to the point of death on a cross, pouring himself out so that you and I don't ever have to be afraid of anything again. It's going to be Christmas pretty soon. I know it's not even like Thanksgiving yet, but it's going to be Christmas pretty soon. One of my favorite Christmas tunes, Oh Come Let Us Adore Him. That's the invitation today. Come, friends, let us adore Him, the one true King. Come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. The Son is ready to receive you. Come. In fact, the Son has been given already to you.
for you. When King Nebuchadnezzar saw those four figures in the fire, who was that in there with those three guys? It was none other than the living God himself, who just as he did in the fire, took on the form of a human. His name is Jesus, and he rescued us from the fire. Friends, will you adore the one who is worthy of our adoration? I'm gonna. Let's pray. Jesus, we do love you. We do adore you. And uh, we need your help to love you and adore you. Sometimes it's difficult in a world that sets up an awful lot of golden statues. Things that we admit do entice us at times. So would you help us to adore you? To seek your advantage above our own. To seek to adore you, even when it's not particularly advantageous to our career goals or whatever. Jesus, thank you for these three guys. Thank you for the model of their faith. Thank you for what they show us and teach us about what it can look like to live faithfully as an exile. Mostly, Father, thank you for Jesus who not only shows us what it looks like to live faithfully, but because of his death and resurrection and the gift of his spirit, makes it possible for us to live faithfully as exiles in the world today. A world in which you have called us to live. A world in which you have said to us, go, be salt to a world that sometimes lacks flavor. Go, be light to a world which is sometimes pretty dark. Go, follow Jesus into this world where I have called you to live faithfully. So help us, O oh Jesus, to live faithfully to you today. We're coming to the altar. Bless us. Receive us, we pray in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. Thanks for joining our Christ Pacific Sunday Sermon Podcast. To hear more of our sermons, or to subscribe, or to learn how you can be engaged with what we're up to in Huntington Beach, please visit us at C-